We're enjoying sitting down with all the students in the Living Your Best Life Sustainably class from the University of Alabama, and this is a very special for us episode of Longleaf Breeze podcast. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thank you, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of October 26, 2011. This is a delayed broadcast from a live discussion with a group of students from a new college course from the University of Alabama. And it's, it's as you said earlier, it's uh, living your best life sustainably. And I'd like to turn the mic over to, for a few minutes to Emily Connor, who's one of the uh, professors of that course, to describe a little bit about what went into the background of the course and what you're doing here. Thank you. Uh, this is Emily Connor, and okay. Um, so this course <laughs> originally developed. Um, Sam and I, um, Samuel Gray, who you'll hear from in a moment, uh, both teach organic farming in New College at the university, and uh, we wanted to explore some different models for if if a student has the idea that they want to farm in their future or right now, what are some of the ways that they could do that? You know, you could start a farm on your own, but there's a lot of um, money that has to go into that. You have to have land. So, what about um, what about urban farming? What about um, subsistence farming? Just having a garden to feed your own family, not trying to make a profit off it. Uh, so today we're here at Longleaf Breeze looking at this wonderful model. Um, and I think I can speak for all of us, say this is really inspiring and we're enjoying this. Great. What I'd love to do to give you fair notice is go around and ask each of you to tell us first name. You don't need to tell us your last name if you don't want to. Um, and your interest in farming and maybe what you're thinking about in relation to this weekend. Why don't we hear from Sam first since he's one of the uh, co-professors of the course. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel we're really lucky to be out here. Um, Lena and Amanda have been so generous to open up their home their their garden that turn off the electric fence um, <laughs> and you know there's just uh so many ways to do this um there's so many ways that it's difficult and so many ways that it's rewarding um i think the more opportunities we have to uh peek behind the scenes at different spots um is going to help us with whatever we want to do in our own backyards or our own family inheritance. Those of us, <laughs> some luckier than others. You want to start with Delena? Tell us about yourself. Um, hi, I am Delena and I am in New College at the University and the reason I am taking this class is I would love to try to get children involved some way in farming and especially the city you know local city children that do not get to get out in the dirt and play and grow vegetables and things that is wonderful thanks thanks uh, my name is elizabeth and i'm an anthropology major at ua 
And I wanted to take this class because I really wanted to learn more about sustainable farming and mainly just gardening in general. And uh, hopefully one day be able to have a farm of my own, like kind of like y'all's. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. My name is Whitney. I'm a marriage and family studies major. And um, I got the email from Emily and I've always been interested in growing things because I'm not good at it. So I need to practice and um, just have food at my house. <laughs> Sounds good. My name is Peter. I'm a hotel management major and found out about the course uh, just through my advisor. And I uh, thought it would be a great idea to just learn more about sustainable farming. Um, just hope to run a hotel one, one day in France and incorporate some of the uh, self-sustainable farming techniques. I'm Jessica. Um, I've really enjoyed staying here um, last night and today. We ate a really, really delicious dinner last night. We all cooked together and we ate together and we did the same thing for breakfast. And I love the simplicity of it, just the farm life and the, the company and the community. And that's why I want to keep going on this path. Thanks. My name's Michael. I'm a new college sustainable agriculture student. I hope to one day have my own farm and be a chef and open up a restaurant and all that and do a very similar model to this where I'm living on my farm and pretty much just have a restaurant right down the road and use all that. So looking forward to it. We should mention that you cooked a fantastic breakfast for us today. Amen. So I think he is in the right field. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. I'm Stephanie. I am a junior in New College at the university. Um, like many others in this class, I'm really interested in farming um, for my family sustainably uh, one day. Thanks, Stephanie. My name's Matthew. I'm a New College student as well. Um, I'm really interested in being on this farm particularly because I have a piece of land that has similar soil to you guys. And I, um, I was, I've always been concerned about that sandy, loamy soil. It didn't seem like it would be very productive, but seeing what you've done out here is really inspiring. And like Delena, I would also love to uh, work with children someday and show them the benefits of, of uh, knowing where your food comes from and just watching something grow. That is great to hear. Well, thank you to all of you for sharing a little bit about your backgrounds with us. Um, I think you all came prepared today with some questions you wanted to ask us, and there may even be some new ones that have popped up since you've visited. So um, you want to fire away? We'll try to answer your questions as best we can. Uh, this is Peter. I guess I can answer, ask the first question. Uh, how did you all decide um, to uh, farm here? How to farm would be the first part of that maybe. And I think mm -hmm. we wanted to, I wanted to move out into the country. I wanted to, to live on land. I can't speak for Lee right now. I'll let you chime in there. But when we started looking at properties, we realized, yeah, most of these, we could grow our own food. We could, you know, there's plenty of sun, you could, plenty of clearings that, where we could do that. And, um, this particular piece of property we found advertised in the Tallahassee Tribune and when we visited it we just fell in love with it right away it was in a great location as far as our family and friends and uh, other things we needed to uh, other places we needed to be it was ne fairly near um, a mid-sized it's a small town but it's I mean it's it's not as small as about 5,000 people yeah in Tallahassee. but it has basic services and we did think that that was important 
We developed a surrogate, y'all, for the size town we needed. We said if it's big enough to have an optometrist, it's probably an okay size town. And that was our, you know, we could quickly figure out whether it was that size town by looking to see if they had an optometrist. Yeah, and, and that's how we zoned in on Tallahassee in terms of the, we mentioned we wanted a certain location in relation to our families. Um, and, and this seemed to be one of those communities that was fairly near those kinds of services you just mentioned, Lee. And it has been so important for us to be close to a small town. We would not have known until now how dependent we are on moving in and out of town for the hardware store, the church, the post office, store, the PO. <laughs> we are traveling to town almost every day. So, And this goes beyond your question a little bit, but... Um, Jessica mentioned the idea of community and, you know, being with people. We are close enough to Tallahassee that we have developed a sense of community with a lot of the people there. And that was just a hidden bonus of the whole, the whole thing. What was your growing experience before you came out here? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you asked that, Emily. I grew azaleas really well because we had a lot of shade where we lived before. Um, and I actually grew impatience before the deer started to eat them all. And I grew athlete's foot. <laughs> it was good with fungi, fungi. But I never, we never grew a tomato. We never grew, he, actually we tried that and it failed miserably. We just had never grown any food. I did not care that much. I did, every now, now and then in the spring, I'd sort of get a wild hair and go out and plant my garden. But that was it. Okay, and, yard, and then it was t time to just figure out how to blow the leaves away in the fall. Yeah. And if I can chime in here about not knowing anything about gardening, w we had a complex about how ignorant we were about gardening. But honestly, I think we were better off to be ignorant because our friends who have been gardening for years have their way of doing it, and some of those are really good ideas, and some of them are not worthy they're they're not good ideas so we've learned only the right way to do it and i don't think we're that disadvantaged because of our inexperienced any anymore what were some of the resources where did you go who did you go to to, to learn well we knew that we didn't know you know that was one thing uh we applied to the master gardener program here in elmore county and actually got rejected the first year we've, we've mentioned that on a podcast before our feelings were a little hurt and i don't know whether it was because we didn't live here at the time they just had too many applicants but the second year we got into the program however because we didn't get into master gardener until the second year we were here we had to find other place other sources so we started with going to something called southern sog southern sustainable agriculture working group conferences and uh, oh that was just incredibly informative took notes and there are probably some other conferences we could mention uh, that was about it that was the main the one but every time there was any kind of workshop and and of course now being a part of that asan and that network at southern sog as well as the um alabama master gardeners program we get all kinds of emails and notifications anytime there's any workshop that we can possibly attend and there it's are helpful. three yahoo groups that i have found particularly useful gardening organically is the largest one and then there's an organic and home uh, organic homestead and gardening or something like that 
and uh, there was also one called Little Houses that doesn't have anything to do with a farm necessarily, but it taught us an awful lot about how to design these buildings so that they worked well from a passive solar standpoint. Right. And of course, I know that you as a group are reading this uh, book by Barbara Kingsolver, Animal Vegetable Miracle. We read that and that was highly influential, as well as uh, Michael Pollan, some of his writings about food. So, uh, and I, we could go on and on, but some of the other, um, well, and there are some people that we used as resources. Just uh, one of our good friends was a master gardener. She helped us talking about Beverly Rutledge. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had um, just, since we've been doing this, more and more people have come forward and said, yeah, my grandfather used to do this and that. And my mother could even remember things that her grandparents who lived in the country were doing, practices that you know, we're sort of reverting back to those old time practices, and I wish I knew more about them. But those are the kinds of resources that we continue to look to. Um, in the book that we read, Animal Vegetable Miracle, they talk a lot about that transitionatory period where they were starting to grow their food, but they didn't actually have their food. Um, what was that like for y'all, and how long did it take for you to be able to actually eat off your farm? I would say uh, the first thing we did is buy a lot of food. <laughs> and there's a podcast that we ran back in June, I think, Stephanie, of last year, lamenting the fact, here we are, we're talking about ourselves like we want to be subsistence farmers. We're not able to feed ourselves our own veg. We don't have enough veg to eat. That was June 2010. Right. So that shows how recently it is that we've sort of been clicking on all eight cylinders in terms of producing food. No problem with that now. The farmer-in-chief is humming out there. She's bringing in big arms full of food all the time. But it did take us that long just to deal with veg. Now, we're still buying meat that we eat. We're still buying um, eggs. Eggs. We We hope not to be doing that for much longer. Um, still buying spices and chocolate because we both love dark chocolate and still buying wine. Coffee, tea. So there's a lot that we're still buying off the farm, but our hope is that we are approaching that subsistence level where we're buying, where we're spending less money off the farm every year. That's the goal. And, of course, there are some things like that, and we also didn't mention nuts, which right now we're not growing any kind of nuts, but we hope to be. Uh, pecan having some pecan trees later but the other thing we're trying to do is reach out at least if we do have to buy something if we can buy it within this community we try for example we buy whole wheat berries wheat berries uh, to make whole wheat bread it's not grown around here but we do buy it from a farm over in Wetumpka close by and we freeze the wheat berries and grind them ourselves and make our own whole wheat flour so Yes, that's not really local. We'll never really be able to grow enough wheat here to do that. Right now, it does not appear likely we will. We may someday find a substitute for that. But uh, but that transition period was kind of scary because, yeah, I was looking around thinking, and we're going to starve. Ah! We're going to get to this at some point, so we might as well just fess up. We needed money to do it this way. But we're old. You know, we didn't have the energy and stamina that y'all have at your age. So our substitute for it was cash. We spent money on equipment. We spent money on food off the farm and so forth and continue to do so today. Um, I have a question from a different perspective. I wanted to talk about your marriage for a second. Um, 
I noticed how incredibly this is Whitney the marriage therapist <laughs> I love it <laughs> how um, incredibly close knit you both seem to be and I woke up this morning to you laughing about something I wasn't eavesdropping I just woke up <laughs> <laughs> and um, I wanted to know if there has been any disagreement about doing something a certain way or doing something a different way or if you both just you know wanted to do everything the same way or what have you thought about (laughs) oh that gets right to the heart of things (laughs) well like any married couple we do um, occasionally disagree. I mean, and, and often we, uh, for example, on that lodge we're building, I want bigger windows, panoramic ones that look out over the valley. And um, you don't, do you, Lee? You want to keep well, it all nice. I'm very nervous and... about the passive solar aspects of it. Right. And when you start talking about big windows, I start thinking about heat absorption. And I'm saying, oh no, that won't work. So, and I yeah. know, and I know you're making the rational argument, and I'm making the emotional argument because I like a nice view. Uh, but it's that sort of thing that sometimes. The way we do something around here, we might slightly disagree about. Um, and I'm, I'm not thinking of any, any other recent big issues that we've had. You might be able to think of some. Oh, that refrigerator is a yeah. continuing dialogue. Yes. We have a refrigerator we got from Home Depot that's really not working well. And you hate it and you're ready to back up the pickup truck off a ditch and dump it out there No, somewhere. sell it on eBay. Don't don't <laughs> somebody out there wants and, that refrigerator, and buy I'm sure. A new right. refrigerator today and I'm I'm thinking we hang on to it as long as we possibly can and maybe use it in the lodge and get a new refrigerator for down here. And my reason for not wanting it is not that I'm some sort of um you know whatever consumer person who has to replace something every two years but it it freezes inappropriately it'll freeze veg that I've worked hard to grow when it shouldn't and um, so anyway not to get into that but it's that sort of thing it's that sort of thing that we often disagree about we are together a lot and that's different even though he's still working he's still a divorce lawyer I still do some consulting but most of our work is done right here together so at the in, in each other's space and that would take a lot of getting used to for well for anybody but some couples may not be ready for that I don't know <laughs> and to be honest let's let's go ahead and explain that if you can't get along with Amanda Borden you better look in the mirror um, everybody loves Amanda you are sweet to say that see they that's tend, why I love him yeah, they tend to tolerate me <laughs> so they can spend time with Amanda. And I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Well, that's awfully nice. But I think, you know, you do raise a good point, Whitney, because if a couple is going to go into this kind of endeavor together and they don't, at least from the big picture standpoint, have a common goal, they could have problems. So uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that and say to any of you who want to partner with anybody to do something like this, you just need to make sure you got your eyes on the prize kind of in the same way. When you guys fell in love, was this your original dream or did you guys dream of something else? It was not my original dream. Nor mine. We, I'm a city girl. I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama and to the extent, and I traveled a lot because my dad was in the Red Cross, which is kind of like being in the army as far as getting transferred every two years, lived in Germany, lived in um, other parts of the Southeast United States, always in a city. I was not a farmer. And um, 
taught, um, you know, I've been a, a professor of communication for 30 years before doing this. And no, I never thought about moving out into the boonies and growing my own food. Um, but the past five years, thing it's been a major turnaround. We've both started coming to this vision. So, uh, but what do you think, Lee? No, I agree. <laughs> and I, I think that's representative of me as well. I didn't have any idea about doing this when I was a child or, or even when I was a young adult. It's really during the last five years or so that our vision has coalesced around this. So are, this is Matthew. Are you guys trying to eat seasonally? And if you are, what has been difficult about that? That's a really good question. Yes, we are trying to eat seasonally. Even though we're not strictly local, we are strictly, as Barbara Kingsolver would say, we eat whatever's lovely and in season. Um, and, and that's kind of our, our watchword. So the good part of it is we have not had to buy much veg off this farm at all the past or fruit for that matter uh, the past year um, except when peaches our peaches ran out very fast and we I do get peaches when they're in season but um, the downside is it's a lot of cabbage at one time it's a lot of kale at one time it's a lot of broccoli at one time and then you cucumbers. go out oh yes the <laughs> cucumber story we have talked about this on the podcast I could have set up a roadside stand this summer for cucumbers and yes we had cucumbers at every meal um so yeah you can get sick of the same thing but then that's what we have to eat so i think that's the challenge and it is a different way of thinking about food most of us here in the united states are weaned on a system of that's recipe driven I like to make meatloaf, so I go out to the store and I buy all the things that go in meatloaf. Or I want to make, let's say, green bean casserole, so I buy all the things that go into green bean casserole. Whereas what we're working toward, and, and I think making good progress on, is stock-driven. We have green beans, so how, how can we enjoy our green beans? Boy, do we have green beans. Yeah, we do have <laughs> green beans. Uh, we have yellow squash or we have pumpkins or whatever. How can we prepare those foods in the most delightful way? And it, it's a just kind of a little different twist on thinking about food. Yeah, and one thing that really influenced me was the way Barbara Kingsolver talked about it. She said, since when did lettuce become invited an, inv an invited guest to every dinner table at any time of the year? There are certain seasons when lettuce is available. Why, do you, why does your salad have to include lettuce in the dead of winter? You know, some people have hoop houses, and yeah, they have it in the dead of winter. We don't. We're not going to be having lettuce in the dead of winter. Or in the dead of summer. Right. So I've adjusted to that. I was one of those people who always went down to the farmer's market and made sure I had a head of lettuce for in whenever. So I think it is, like you said, you got to adjust your mindset. Now that you've come through this first real productive summer, and keeping in mind what that question you just answered, what are some changes you're going to make? Um, what do you know you're going to do differently uh, this next summer? Well, I'll plant fewer rattlesnake beans. I've planted way too many. And maybe more of some other things. I think I'm going to plant earlier, for one thing, and plant more of what I know grows well here. That might mean saying, I'm not going to try corn anymore. I'm not go although the field corn did pretty well. 
Um, there is some I need to show you guys drying out there, and we're going to try grinding it later. Um, the, there will be some things that I'll just over the years say that variety is destined not to be part of our production. Yeah, I think that's true. There's, I don't know enough yet on the fruit front to say what I'm going to do differently because it's so early. Fruit has a much longer curve in terms of putting it in the ground before you actually get usable results. So it's too soon for me to tell. What's your favorite time of year on the farm? Winter. Fall. <laughs> Why? Uh, I love winter because the leaves come off the trees, and when you um, walk in the woods, you can see so far. It's also the time when I can get Amanda out of, out of the garden and get her into the apartment at a decent hour, and we can burrow in with the wood stove and enjoy those evenings and a bowl of soup together and... It's just a delightful time of year for both of us, I think. Yeah, the summer I don't like because I do tend to be a workaholic when it comes to the veg, and he'll have to call me in, and I mean, I'll work till it is dark. I'll work, I will work until it is too dark if I don't have somebody to make me So I do had to insist that I could call her at 6.30 and she would come on in because once she comes in, then she has several chores she has to do before we can settle down and enjoy supper together. So um, we, she, she agreed that I could call her at 6.30 and she would actually come in then. Yeah. Well, the reason fall, though, back to my, my response, the reason fall is my favorite season is, well, all of you are here right now, and you can look around and see that we have beautiful leaf color. It's uh, the weather's pleasant. We can begin walking, and as I said last year about my fall garden as compared to my summer garden, my fall garden is going to be a laid-back garden, <laughs> and it really is because it's one row. That's it. That's it's all it's going to be, and um, therefore will require less maintenance, and it's much more pleasant to work outside in the fall. And then we we've started taking long walks every afternoon, and looking around and enjoying the weather and the the scenery, and it's beautiful. So that's why it's my favorite. Uh, this is Peter. How do y'all plan to make your farm more sustainable in the upcoming years? Well, I guess um, we know that we will not have cheap fossil fuels to draw on. Uh, one small example of this, Peter, is I. we have several trails. Y'all have experienced many of our trails, but certainly not all of them, maybe about half. You've seen about half the trails right now. We have a, a long-term plan of letting the trees grow up around those trails so they won't need to be bush hogged nearly as much as we have to bush hog them now. They get a lot of light, and that makes the grass grow fast, so we have to bush hog them regularly. And our plan is to let the canopy grow up around them so we don't have to bush hog them as much. Obviously, we're working to grow veg so we don't have to travel to do that. We'll introduce chickens after the lodge is finished. Um, you know, y'all have all had a good time watching me play around with the pallet forks on the, the pulling things off the pallet rack and so forth. All of that is set up so that if and when we have to transition to an electric tractor, we'll be able to do so easily. It's, there's nothing that, you know, we're, we're keeping all that in mind. Um, we are two old people who are farming, so we can't use our muscle power 
as a substitute for everything. There are some things we will always need machines to do. And there are even some things we will always need fossil fuels to do. For example, we have a log splitter that we used for, for splitting our firewood. I don't have a long-term plan for that other than cranking up that gasoline engine and splitting those logs. Now, I guess we could maybe talk some enterprising young person into joining us here, and you can split that firewood. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been through my Paul Bunyan period, and I didn't do it well, so I'm, I'm, we're sort of stuck there. And I've enjoyed using our mulcher. That's another thing that if we couldn't use that, I'd be uh, upset because it's it, we have a lot of deadfall around here anyway, just available, and it makes great wood mulch for the garden. So that's one that comes to mind that uh, I hope. But when you ask Peter about preparing for the future, of course we're trying to persuade any of our children who want to, <laughs> who are willing to, to move here so that they can be become part of the family enterprise and carry on the tradition and carry on and, and learn some of these things uh, because again they're cityfied right now too <laughs> so if you can't persuade them um <laughs> you know i just i'm looking into the future do you see yourselves staying here do you think that you know as you i'm not trying to be rude but as you you know grow older and you know, might not be able to do as many things as you can completely do now. How do you see yourself transitioning or moving? Or That's a really good question, Whitney. And, and I have thought about that because, um, of course, we hope to stay healthy. And we hope that what we're doing, our lifestyle, will keep us healthy longer than would be average uh, for our age group. But, yeah, I think there would come a time that I would – we either one of us or both would have to have help to keep it up. And if we can't persuade them, unless we could hire someone to do the work, which who knows what the economy is going to do, who knows? That's anybody's guess. Um, you know, it would be kind of, but no more frightening really than living in a big house in a subdivision, which yeah. is where I lived before, uh, because I wouldn't have been able to, I was, the bedrooms were all on a second story floor. So, or up on the second floor. So, you know, I think, I try to take each day at a time and hope that we can persuade them to do that. And if not, have some sort of intentional community here, something so that we look out for each other. And to answer your specific question, Whitney, I think both of us intend to die here. Yes. It's not our plan to transition from here somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So we'll do what we need to do to be happy and safe here. We'd love for our children to be the ones who join us here. But if they dis if they vote no, then we've got to look elsewhere. You have it's, you know, right here. You have everything that you need right here in this little bitty room, and it's. Oh. You know, I mean, basically, I mean, you have a bed, you have a kitchen, you have a bathroom, you have, you know, TV. You, I could live there and you oh, know yeah. be happy. It's a nice place it to is. live. No question about well, it. Well, <laughs> and your comment. Uh, makes me think of what happens to a lot of seniors when they are un unable to live in their suburban homes. They get moved to assisted living. Look at their apartment. It's probably a lot like the apartment where we live now. Yeah. The difference is ours is not there because it's assisted living. We do most of our living outside, you know, being very active. But, yes, if you had to ever be confined to a space like that, 
This would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, we've been uh, running about 30 minutes, so this may need to be our last one. Um, going back to food and preparation, what have you done to get ready for winter when you are not going to have a garden full of vegetables? We've actually been very active this year in preparing for winter. We canned the green beans that kept coming and coming. And I think we told you all yesterday, maybe about 11 gallons of them have been canned. We froze a good many of our peas uh, and some okra. Of course, we had given a lot of it away during the summer when it was fresh. But uh, we, I made some pickles. Lee's not a big pickle fan. So that wasn't, I've got to improve on figuring out a way to preserve the cucumbers. Um, what else? Uh, uh, lots of soup. We have many quarts. I don't know how many, but probably 25, 30 quarts of soup put up in one-quart containers, which works out for us because that's about a meal's worth for the two of us. And it's very typical for us on a winter night to have a bowl of soup and some kind of roll or a cornbread or something like that, and we're happy. And the soup was a way of preserving it uh, because we actually froze our tomatoes. When we'd have a bumper crop of tomatoes, we'd just put them in the refrig- in the freezer in a Ziploc bag. Now, what you do is you freeze them not touching each other, like on a baking sheet first. And then they're like little rocks. Put them in a Ziploc bag and pull them out. And yes, they're going to be squishy, mushy, not anything you'd want to cut up and put on a salad. But as far as stew is perfect and that and whatever veg we were harvesting which i remember when the cabbage we finally had to get all the cabbage out that's the other little story about this that we really didn't understand when we started matt is the the productivity of the fall veg which is really fall winter and early spring veg and you know when we first started doing this our assumption was we were going to need to put up a lot of food for the winter well we put up some but a lot of it, we're going out and harvesting fresh right through the winter. Yeah, so really we don't have a complete downtime when there's nothing out there, except maybe the dead of winter, the when it's the well, even coldest. Then we can harvest co- collards. Yeah, collards. We were getting collards. Brussels then. sprouts, a few. Yeah. And, oh, the other thing I didn't mention is that we have um, stored in as many uh, winter squash as we can. I have a couple of baskets of those and y'all have seen the table sweet full potatoes. of sweet potatoes in here mm-hmm. that's you know yeah. we'll put them aside and they'll last at least through january and our garlic we harvested garlic and that's being stored and we didn't plant enough onions last year and didn't take care of them the way we should have so i plan to to do more with onions in the future so that we don't have because that's something else that we run out of what we grew and we have to go to costco and buy them so Last comment from Jessica, and then we'll close it out. What are the sweet potatoes doing on the table? <laughs> they're well, curing. They're curing, yeah. We put them out. They need to sit out dirty. We don't wash them. We leave them dirty, and they sit out on the table for a couple of weeks after we dig them up, and that lets them cure. And once they've cured, then we can put them in some more concentrated storage. Like a basket. Last year, the ones we had after they had cured, I just put them in a produ- couple of produce baskets, and they kept a pretty good time, length of time. So um, we're learning, and we'll we'll know. Actually, uh, sweet potatoes, that's a, another story that we can do better next year. So How thank fun. you all. Thank you all for sharing this with us. It's been a lot of fun for us, and I hope helpful for y'all as well. Thank you. Thank you all. 
You've been listening to Long Leaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.